the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about uh, what it was like from the inside to be an essential worker or a frontline worker during the pandemic from uh, someone who experienced it and wrote about it in a new book uh, called Life on the Grocery Line, Uh, Let me see if I got the title right here. Life on the Grocery Line, a Frontline Experience in a Global Pandemic by uh, Adam Catt, who joins me by phone. Hi, Adam. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, What did did you think the first time you heard uh, someone who worked at a grocery store referred to as an essential worker? Well... (laughs) <laughs> I, I, don't know. I, <laughs> I, I don't mean to throw you off with a weird question but oh no that's like the that's something i've thought about a lot um over the year over the last year and a half almost two years now um and i think like everyone's essential like all jobs are essential so it to me it felt like i was being placed in a different category so kind of being the other, like, separate from society. I didn't feel part of a whole when they said that. I didn't feel special. I just felt, like, um, obligated more. <laughs> like, like I somehow, um, it makes other people unessential or non-essential. And um, I don't think that was that fair to them. But I get where people were coming from, too, because we needed to be in the grocery store. You needed to go to work. Someone needed to check out the people. People so that they could go home and feed their families. So, now, now what was what was your job 
um, when the when the pandemic first started in March of 2020? I was a cashier, so I started as a cashier in late January. I had about what, maybe a month and a half of normal <laughs> life, and, and then everything hit the fan. And yeah, it, I was a cashier all the way until August, and then I moved into the prepared foods department, and basically like, then moved up to a manager. Uh, ran the receiving and also it's like a kitchen inside of a, a grocery store so that was a little bit like removed from customers more did you before the pandemic and and people started talking about uh everybody from truckers to baggers at the grocery stores being part of the the uh food supply chain had you actually even considered that you were part of the food supply chain before that not really like so the job i was doing before like in 2019 i quit a corporate job and i've been in supply chain in like a like a corporate sense for i don't know like 10 years so um i decided to quit and try and write a different novel and i ended up getting a a job as a cashier in January just to pay the bills. And yeah, it, it really showed how fragile the supply chain is, but no, it, for that little bit that I was a cashier before everything hit the fan, I had, it was just a, supposed to be a in-between job, something kind of fun that like I could use my gift to gab and chat with people and I could work on my artistic endeavors on the side. So no, I hadn't really noticed before. And you said you wanted to, to write a novel. Did you have any idea that it was going to uh, end up being about the uh, um, the pandemic? <laughs> no, I had I had no idea. Like the um, I right after I started, or after let's say March fifteenth, I think is when everything closed down in Denver. Like the kids had to stay yeah. home and. Um, everyone worked from home. You know, everything changed, and it became a lot more stressful. It was there was so much uncertainty everywhere. I mean, like the news was nonstop. Just get on Twitter and doom scroll. And um, I started blogging about it. I, I needed to write because that's the best way for me to process and work through things in life. And I wrote the, I wrote one essay that I shared on uh, Facebook, and I. You got a lot of traction. So um, I started a site and people just gravitated towards it. Like a lot of grocery store workers, service industry folks didn't have anything else to do besides stay home and get on the internet. So they were reading my blog a lot and it gained a, a big following. And I just kept writing about my experiences, kind of brought them into a narrative and the best way for me to share my story, I guess, would be through a fictional character. But I had no idea. <laughs> Not when, at all. Now, I remember when the when the pandemic first sort of exploded and, and started popping up, started, you know, out in the, in the West Coast, I think in Washington or Oregon and New York, and, and then within just a matter of, of days or weeks, it was nationwide. 
And there was this huge hoarding thing. I remember friends of mine posting pictures of empty shelves on Facebook and seeing things on the nightly news about, you know, you can't find toilet paper anywhere. I don't know what toilet paper was going to do to eradicate COVID-19. But did you experience that? Did you see people just freaking out and buying huge quantities of unusual items? Oh, yeah. Like the... At my store, we didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of paper products in general, so you didn't like the toilet paper was gone instantly. But it wasn't like a whole aisle, like you see it like a Kroger or something. Right, right. Um, yeah, those were stuff. those were a little spooky. I mean, it became kind of uh, dystopian almost, looking down those empty aisles in in big sprawling markets. Yeah, they were. It was wild. The I have pictures up on lifeonthegrocerylineline dot com that like show empty shelves, like pasta canned foods for sure but even people were taking you know they're taking produce and our milk section got whittled down to nothing like you can't freeze milk milk goes bad produce you can't freeze for the most part um you can make things with it that you could freeze but like the the poor people in the in the meat department were absolutely ravaged i mean everything looks yeah dystopian it even the even the like regular drinks like we had a lot of fan- it was a high end grocery store a fancy a fancy one and like all those individual drinks that are like six bucks a piece all gone like the whole drink section everyone was buying anything they could it was it was surreal and we'd have you know seven hundred dollar orders stuff like that go through the line and it'd be you know it was a line all the way to the back of the store for at least a few weeks. That's that's amazing. Did it start being a problem to get stuff in? Oh yeah, they they put limits on everything pretty quickly, um, and yeah, it was, stuff was like yeast didn't come back until months later. So everyone was cooking bread or something at home. Um, like pasta took forever to come back to. For a while, it's like I mean, if you if you weren't the first person in the store that you know got it right after the night the night crew um, restocked it, you weren't going to get the stuff. And that, and my grocery store, is, or that grocery store was, you know, it's a real high-end, um, fancy, like, organic, locally sourced sort of place. So you can only imagine what, like, a, a normal chain grocery store would be like, too. Even crazier, probably. Yeah, like a whole aisle of olive oil. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a wild time to be there, and I knew one thing I had to I had the right to to connect to it because I knew that it was some it was like a special moment almost like it special sounds like a positive sense but like a unique moment in world history, and I was there I was there right there witnessing all firsthand, and like and it ended up. The blog ended up connecting a lot of people. During those first few weeks, Adam, did it feel like you were on a front line? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. It, it felt so strange. Like, it was really overwhelming every day. I know um, a lot of people would take extra days off. You were, you were allowed to have as much PTO as you wanted. Um, and cause it, was, it was pretty stressful. It was like, because you not only were dealing with checking them out, but it was the people, too, that, you know, they are dealing with all the problems in their life, too. 
Well, I would imagine that a lot of them felt sort of frantic and compelled to, to they, they were on a mission. And I would imagine they could be somewhat rude and unruly. Did you have any, any fist fights in the aisles or anything? <laughs> I, I never saw any fist fights. Um, I heard about people breaking down. I had one circumstance that I kind of relay in the book. Um, we were running out of bags. And this, uh, so I couldn't double bag. And this woman wanted her, her groceries double bagged. And I told her we, we couldn't do that. Well, she didn't like that. And I was about halfway through her groceries. She like just starts ripping stuff off the conveyor belt. She puts her card in, slams her card in the machine, pays, throws everything in the cart, misses some of the stuff, and it falls on the floor. And as she's storming out, she looks back at me, licks her hand, and then slaps the counter of the last. Uh, register on the way out the door. And that was, I mean, I was like, I just stood there. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to react. No one really saw it besides me. And I just kind of like, it was so like, that's an absurd level of behavior. And the, the whole time she was, you know, stuffing stuff into her cart, she said, it's not you. It's not you. And I'm like, well, then why are you taking it out on me? But, <laughs> Because <laughs> their whole life was crumbling down. But yeah, it happened a lot of, lot of like negative stuff or really meltdowns happened during that time for sure. Well, I now when did the um, when did or does the the book officially come out? Oh, it's out already. Oh, okay. When when did it come out? It came out in April. Oh, okay. So it's been out for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, been doing a like a bunch of press for it and um hopefully it's available at lights on the grocery um that you can get a signed copy there or they'll direct you to amazon where they're the they're the publisher that i'm using for it again yeah. the, the title of the book is life on the grocery line a frontline experience in a global pandemic written by my guest adam cat adam i have to um I have to take a short break here, but can you stick around for a little bit and uh, and we'll talk some more? Yes, absolutely. All right. Uh, again, it's uh, Adam Cat. The book is uh, Life on the Grocery Line. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And don't forget, if there are interviews or conversations uh, on the Tom Sumner Program that you miss and you want to go back and hear them, you can go to our website. That, well, the show repeats all day online. You can tune in anytime. But if there's a particular interview you want to hear, you can go to the archive um, which is uh, under audio on the website, and uh, and scroll through and and pick out one of the uh, one of the interviews. They're all listed uh, by hour and date, and uh, you're welcome uh, certainly to do that. And uh, if you are streaming us, uh, we have a few messages that we'll share with you, and uh, we'll return to talk with uh, Adam Cat, author of Life on the Grocery Line. 
a frontline experience in a global pandemic. We'll be back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yellow. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. 
a doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with the author of a a new book. It's called um, Life on the Grocery Line, a Frontline Experience in a Global Pandemic by Adam Catt, who joins me by phone. Adam, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. (laughs) No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, Adam, we were talking a little bit about some of the uh, the initial uh, reactions and the fact that you... um, probably didn't suffer some of the uh, indignities that that some people did um, because of the fact that you were working in a higher-end market. It it wasn't a big supermarket where, you know, people were fighting in the aisles over toilet paper and hand sanitizer and so on. But in the process of doing your blog and talking about some of the things that you did experience, um, did you get feedback from from other people that that worked in other places that shared some of their horror stories with you as well? Yeah, there was a, like, the Facebook page really became like a kind of community or like source, and I, people would send me pictures of their loved ones or of their coworkers that worked in grocery stores and give them props. And we kind of like we bonded together pretty well over the, the course of I'd say at least the first six months. Um, and it like, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of like um, people sharing <laughs> like videos of fights or anything like that. <laughs> I, <laughs> you can see enough of that. Like, it was so easy to find the madness going on everywhere on Twitter, but it was more, it was really a positive focus and that's what I wanted it to be the whole time. Like not a, not political, not anything like that. Just the place where, you know, if you had someone you wanted to give a call out to, you know, it's like 15,000 Facebook followers and give them some props and um, share the loves, like nothing but positive vibes. You know, when those, uh, when stores and you mentioned that your store experienced this with uh, people running up seven hundred dollar tabs and being lined up all the way to the back of the store and and that kind of flood and you talked about getting you know being offered uh, a little extra time off when you needed it and so on and and this idea that that fatigue was uh, a real issue um, when you were going through that, um, what well, what was that fatigue like? Was it a matter of having to work additional hours, longer days, longer shifts, work overnight to restock shelves? What? How did it? How did it uh, exhaust the staff on the front line? Um, it, we definitely worked a lot more hours. You get unlimited overtime. Um, the, a lot of it for me was the mental exhaustion of kind of turning into a therapist overnight. You became the only person that people really had besides their family to talk to. Um, and people just kind of putting a lot of weight on your shoulders. Like what, what do you think is going on with the virus? What's going on in the world? I have to take care of my kids, blah, 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 all their, their problems too. And all the while you're increasing the 
the PPE. So you got a mask, you got plexiglass going up. I have to wipe down the entire register for a while between each each person. So my arm got sore. We were doing that only for a few weeks, and then they figured out that that, that didn't really do that much. And it was kind of just everything piling up on you that brought a mental fatigue um, going in. And there's a line around the building. Everyone's stressed out, anxious, and you're right there to like either listen to them or just they take it out on you. And yeah, it was um, that was my major thing. The physical, yes and no, but it was it, everyone took it differently, and it, was, it got rough. It got really rough. Now there was a period of time when. Um the media was promoting and and people on social media were propo- were uh, promoting the idea that that people who worked in in grocery stores and drug stores and you know places that were considered essential in the early days of the pandemic were were heroes on the front line um, how long did that last before it <laughs> kind of went back to normal Oh, I think that was, like, over by, like, really the middle of summer. Like, not even the middle of summer. It was probably over by June. The I remember that happening, and they're like, someone, like, the first time they called me a hero, I just kind of looked at them like, um, I'm just showing up to work. This is really isn't heroic to me. Um, I'm not going above and beyond, but it is kind of heroic to take on the weight of other people's problems. Um, I've kind of realized that after a while, but... Um, yeah, that went away like almost instantly. It was only a few weeks long. <laughs> was there a part of it, Adam, where in some ways you probably knew friends and family who were, you know, quarantined and not able to work, those that couldn't work from home and so on, and ended up ultimately being laid off? Was Were you consciously aware of the fact that that by being an essential worker, you were able to stay employed and keep going to work every day? Oh, yeah. I was, I was very grateful for my job. Um, definitely, I appreciated that. Um, they, they gave a raise for a while, too. They took that away eventually. And I kind of thought that maybe anyone that stuck out the pandemic or stuck out those, those really intense few months, should get that raise just automatically. I mean, it's a real big corporation, but you know, it's a, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, I'd, I've never been so grateful for a job, and I never realized the importance of a true importance of a job until I, this all, all happened, and I worked in the grocery store. What are you doing now? Um, I work for a big company, like basically high end customer service. I was able to, like, you know, experience what I needed to at the grocery store, but there's kind of a, it's not really a glass ceiling, but you have to drink the Kool-Aid all the way. And I wanted to take, like, uh, I wanted to have weekends off. I wanted, like, time to spend with my friends because I wasn't spending, now that things are opening up, I was busy every weekend and working long hours as a manager in the prepared foods department, so I decided to move on. But you're, are, are you with the same company, or did you change companies? I changed companies. Okay. Um, have you heard from 
people that you used to work with and and people at the old company about your book um like from the uh, corporation yeah from or, either from the corporation or some of your co-workers oh so yeah like i i worked there from january of 2020 all the way through may of this year um and i published in april so like I mean, even my managers bought, like two managers bought books. So the, uh, they all knew about it. And um, it really, I guess it spoke to a lot of people. I'm really happy about that. I just wondered if they gave you any feedback or, or if, um, would, would it have been possible for people to recognize themselves in the telling of the story? Oh, yeah, I think that definitely happened. I've heard some extremely good feedback, especially from grocery store workers, but also service industry folks, um, like, you know, waiters and, uh, it really customer service in general, because I wanted it to be, I focused the book on conversations that you have with customers, both, um, illuminating and like positive, but a lot of negative and funny and dark. And yeah, they, um, I've heard a lot of good feedback, both from coworkers and from other people that have bought the book since then. Well, have you uh, have you got the writing bug now, Adam? Is there going to be uh, a uh, a follow up to this book or something new? Yeah, I'm in the process of writing a follow up to it because I, I think, like a grocery store, and this is one thing I really never noticed until I worked there and the pandemic kicked off was how important it was, but also it's like a center of community. Like, you, you know, I didn't really thought about going into a grocery store before, but all of a sudden it became the only thing open and you needed to feed your family and it, it became vital to the neighborhood. Um, and I, it also illuminates, you know, all the relationships. There's such a random group of people that work in grocery stores and lots of interesting stories. It deserves a full novel and, I want the next one to be about everything I loved and hated working about or working in a grocery store. Well, that sounds fun. And you say this this one is mostly or, or it deals a lot with um, interactions and conversations between people. Yeah, the life on the grocery line, uh, frontline experience in the global pandemic is it's it's primarily about like that moment in time, that feeling, um, and it, it whisks Daniel away. So it follows Daniel the first week on the job in a high-end grocery store as the pandemic hits, and he has to deal with everything in real time with these like very elitist customers and the, the nightmares <laughs> that you saw on TV, all those different things. And um, yeah, it's about that, that moment in time and being a, yeah, being an essential worker in a club. And Daniel is the main character in the book. Is he a fictional you? Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. Um, yeah, how much how much of this is, is novel and, and how much of it is uh, memoir? <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I could give a percentage, but... Uh, like all the stories in there either happened to me or, well, not all of the stories, but like 
75% of the stories happen to me or someone I know. And there's certain ones where I kind of made them up to, you know, bring more context or like a, a better grounding feel to the story, like understand the, the tension. Like there's a, a moment in there where like two characters, uh, I call them Linda's, um, and they're arguing. And then all of a sudden, like Daniel tries to get around them to like reach for a drink for lunch. And they start yelling at him and everyone joins in. And so that never happened. But the feeling was always there. Like somehow you're put, being put on blast. Um, and I felt like that in general, not just in the grocery store. But yeah, the, the stories, a lot of them happen to me and happen to people I know too. How did you collect all this information? Was it because you were blogging all along and you were able to pull your your blogs together to to create this story and and were there things when you finally put the book together that that surprised you yeah i definitely um the the blog is how i really tied or like kept track of it i guess track of the stories and then tying the narrative together um i use like stereotypes stereotypical names to like because everyone seems the same sometimes. I mean, that's in life <laughs> yeah. in general, right? But sure, definitely when they go through your line over and over again, and it's the same attitude, the same like elitist kind of feel. I call them I call them Linda's, Dave's, and Norman's, and um, I I use that kind of as a central theme: the repetitiveness, the the dreary feeling. Um, what, what was your second question again, though? Oh, it was um, just simply how you were able to to keep track of uh, of everything, and and if there were any surprises once you started putting the book together. The, the blog made it a lot easier to assemble the novel. Um, the surprising part? Hmm, that's a good question. Anything surprised me? Um, when you work with an editor. Uh, you get, I guess you get surprised on a regular basis. Like, oh, this sounds great in my head. But they're like, no, that's not going to work. And you end up cutting out things and making and the, the story much more simple than it was before. It ended up being, like, I, was, I had this kind of sprawling idea in my head, but it was still going to be a short book. It needed to be a short, like, simple, fast story that just takes you off on a rocket ship. And and what do you think will will happen going forward for you, Adam? Do you think you'll um, with this this book that you're working on or thinking about, um, you're going to stay in the in the grocery store arena, or do you think you'll eventually uh, take off and and tackle other places? Well, I, I think Daniel and like Linda's and Dave's and stuff kind of exist in a universe. Like, but this will be the, the second one in my mind right now is the last of like grocery store stuff. Cause if I don't live through it, it's not something I can write about as much anymore to me. Like it needs to be autobiographical in a way. Um, but I have some other ideas for like parallel books or with the same character and just in a different, um, time and place. But yeah, the, the second one will be more, it'll be longer. The first one's only 182 pages. The second one's going to be longer, more robust, more of a true novel. 
And in the in the process of of putting this book together, it it really was just kind of assembling stories that you had already told or or had been telling, and and you put it all together in a novel format. Um, did you have to really did you have to do any research for this book or was it really just based all on stuff that you experienced witnessed or that people shared with you uh yeah i didn't really do any research for it it was all like lived experience or stories shared from coworkers um and the and my imagination well but yeah i didn't have to Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. Go ahead and finish what you were saying. Oh, um, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't that much research. It's mainly because it's a shorter book in general. You know, the it, to me, I wanted it, it takes place Daniel's first week on the job. But there's but there's no differentiation really between days. Besides, he goes home with and hangs out with his neighbors and stuff. But I take all the way all right when school shut down, all the way to um, like riots and protests and stuff in the summer. And I squish it all into that first week because me, it all felt the same. It was one giant blur, you know, like it was nothing but tension for a good, like three, four months until we kind of got into the summer a little bit farther. And it felt like things were opening up a little bit more. Now things, restrictions were pretty, um, pretty extreme in Michigan. Were they in Colorado? Um, I don't know. In comparison, I, I'm not sure. But yeah, was, and I'm not asking you to really compare it. I just did it. Did it seem like like everything just ground to a halt and shut down? And and how long did that did that last? The um yeah the <laughs> when the bars and everything shut down that was yeah uh, yeah that that definitely lasted didn't last a few months I think it did definitely went on for quite a while unless you were really big and you could afford to have outdoor um outdoor seating and stuff and i mean like if you're a big one you could have drinks to go but like a lot of the mom and pop shops like well they got shuttered permanently but they weren't open still aren't open or they weren't open for months and months so it was it was really like a very boring summer but honestly that gave me um uh opportunity to write and out as much with friends and i couldn't go out i could do is go to the park really the store that you worked for did did they um embrace the idea of of curbside pickup or delivery that that some stores and chains were doing oh yeah they, they went crazy for the um hired a bunch of online shoppers for the online and they even took over parts of other parts of the store was a big thing that became like it basically transformed transformed their business in like what would have happened anyway you know 10 years down the line or something or five years and it happened in six months instead (laughs) it's it's amazing how fast we can uh, pull things together when we need to i'm thinking about all the parents that had to keep their kids home and and oversee their education uh online and and homeschooling and all that kind of stuff that that people had to go through um 
This is an interesting story, Adam, and I'm glad you shared it uh, this morning with me and the listeners and and in your book, uh, Life on the Grocery Line, A Frontline Experience in a Global Pandemic by Adam Catt. Um, Adam, we, we just have a couple of minutes left, but I always ask guests or give them an opportunity to share with listeners where listeners can find out more about what we've been talking about and and uh, about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you do you have a website? Yeah, um, lifeonthegrocerline.com will have the blog, so you can you know, look back through all the writing that happened. Um, I don't really blog on it anymore, um, but you can also get the book there. Uh, that's the best place, and then. Um, you can also follow me on Facebook, Life on the Grocery Line on Facebook, and there's a big following. There's a lot of like really interesting people and people that are emotionally invested in um, like essential workers and grocery store employees, and it's pretty cool. So those two places are the best to go to, for sure. Well, I uh, really appreciate you spending this time with me, Adam. Thanks so much, and good luck with the book, uh, this one, and the next one. Thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was Adam Catt. That's K-A-A-T. And uh, he is the author of uh, Life on the Grocery Line, uh, A Frontline Experience in a Global Pandemic. And uh, we're going to have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com I have to lay low for a while So I'll be staying here inside it's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side we're all in for a bumpy ride I'll see you on the other side It's not the same without you here I hold on to this phone so tight then I'll whisper you a goodnight kiss I'll see you on the other side When I crawl out of my cage When the world is pure and From the Tom Sumner Show
Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Jonah Pody. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Food isn't that much easier now, though. See people in the supermarket just struggling, reading things, looking around. Everyone's all upset in the supermarket. What do I eat? What am I supposed to eat? The protein, the carbohydrate, the fat content. People just see fat content, fat content. It has fat, there's fat in it. It's going to be in me. People just going up to people, you, you look okay, what are you eating? Maybe I'll eat that. <laughs> the whole supermarket is designed to break down your sense of having any kind of life outside the supermarket. It's like a casino. You know, there's no windows, no clocks, no easily accessible exits. You ever not buy anything in the supermarket and try and get out of there? There's no way out. You can't get out. People walk up to the supermarket, they really have a sense of purpose, don't they? They're walking down there, they go, all right, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that, I'm going to pay for it, I'm going to get out of here and get back to my real life. You see that same person ten minutes later just... Why did I come up this aisle anyway? This is a different aisle than I've ever been in before. Always noticing something new. Oh, they got them in mesquite flavor now. What is mesquite? Wonder if it's made from mosquitoes. There's so many subtle insults in a lot of these products. What the hell is chicken of the sea tuna? There's no chickens in the sea. What do they think? They're afraid to tell us it's a fish? Afraid we won't understand? Just put chicken on the can. They'll think it's chicken that lives in the sea. Any chickens that live in the sea. Chickens on the land, fish in the sea. Don't put chickens in the sea. That Oscar Meyer section is creepy too. This guy's inventing meat. There's no olive loaf animal as far as I know. I've never seen a pig with little pimentos in the side. And that other one, head cheese, whoa! Oh, I don't think so. I've always felt the words head and cheese should never be that close together for any reason. Produce is tricky too, I don't know what's the deal with the produce. I mean, every, you're supposed to know. That's so why you have to just fake it, you know. Yeah, that's a good one. 
Glad I found that one. Cantaloupes, I'm rolling them down the aisle, you know. See the way that's fading left? That one's not ready. I'm not going to get that one. Very impressed with that seedless watermelon development. That was quite an accomplishment. Seedless watermelon. They did it. It's done. We have it now. What are they planting to grow the seedless watermelon, I wonder? Water? I mean, it's got to be something. They haven't got the melons humping now, have they? And what kind of scientists do this kind of work anyway? You know, other scientists working on AIDS, cancer, heart disease, these guys are going, no, I want to focus more on melon. I think that's the important area. Sure, thousands are dying needlessly, but this, that's got to stop. And you ever try and pick up a wet one off the floor? It's almost impossible. Milk is a big problem for people in the supermarket. They're never quite sure if they have it, if they need it. They bury it way in the back in the supermarket. You gotta find it, you gotta hack your way through all the displays. Well, ah, there it is. There's the milk. Do we have any milk? People are never really sure if they have milk. You think you have milk, we might have milk. I know there's a carton in there, I don't know how much is in there. Well, what should we do? Because you wanna be sure. There's nothing worse than thinking you have milk and not having it. You know, you got the bowl set up, the cereal, the spoon, the napkin, the TV, the newspaper, everything's ready to go. You go to lift up the carton and it's too light. Ah! Oh no! Too light. Or sometimes you think you need milk. Hey, we better pick up some milk. Like many of you are thinking right now. You know, he's right. Maybe we should pick up some milk. So you'll pick up some milk on the way home. And then you'll discover you already had milk. And now you got way too much milk. That's no good either. Now it's a race against the clock with the expiration date. That freaky thing. Now you're eating giant punch bowls of cereal, three meals a day. You're washing your face with milk. Bringing cats in from all over the neighborhood. Hurry up and drink it! Come on, it's almost time! How do they know that that is the definite exact day? You know, they don't say like it's in the vicinity, give or take, roughly. They brand it right into the side of the cart and then they, that's your goddamn day right there. Oh, don't screw with us. We know what day is the final day. And then it is so over. You ever have milk the day after the day? It scares the hell out of you, doesn't it? The spoon is trembling as it comes out of the bowl. It's after the day. I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. I don't know why I'm doing this. I smelled it. You smell it. What is it supposed to smell like? I never smelled milk. Maybe the cows tip them off when they're milking them. July 3rd. So I go to that checkout line. I really appreciate the rubber divider sticks that are available on checkout lines. I think this is a nice little supermarket feature. 
So you want your items and you want a little property there too. So you, I don't want other people's items fraternizing with my carefully selected items. Put your sticks down. There's two ways to use the rubber divider stick. You can put it on the conveyor belt or you can hold it there in your hand. It also works like that. Just go, excuse me, those potato chips are getting a little close to my box of donuts over there. See that corner of that bag kind of curling up against the side of the box? I'm a little worried about that. You paying attention to me? So there was a young lady in front of me the other day. Her total was $3. She chose to pay by the use of the check. What is with the chicks and the checks? Women are using way more checks than men. Are you aware of this, guys? Outside of, I think, bills, men write like two, three checks a month. Women go through like a book a day. And you know how you are when you're on the supermarket line anyway. You see the person in front of you pull out a check and you... But if it is a woman in front of you that's writing out the check, you will not be waiting long because women write out so many checks. They are so fluent in the procedures of checking and check writing. It takes them two seconds and they're out of there. It's the one thing in their purse they can find immediately. It's the checkbook. The most difficult thing for women to find in their purse is keys. They have no idea where the keys are. Sometimes they have to dump it out, rake through it. But the checkbook, they got that. That comes out of a holster. Who do I make it out to? Here's my ID. See you later. You don't see men doing that. Men are totally intimidated by the check. To a man, a check is like a note from your mother that, that says, I don't have any money, but if you contact these people, they'll stick up for me. I gave my money to these people here. And then they gave me these. Is that worth anything at all? I put my name on it and the amount of money that I wish I had. You gotta beg this guy to trust you. And even if he does trust you, how much do you trust him in return? Not very much. Because when you write out the dollar amount on the check, you always put that long line all the way down. So he can't write in and a hundred million dollars too. I think if you don't finish the line, you have to pay that money. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. There's smoking George Winters, tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the uh, living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the show. I want to say thanks to uh, all of the guests on the show today. The authors, uh, Adam Catt, uh, Life on the Grocery Line, and Ileana Schinder, uh, Housing for Humans, and of course, uh, Richard Jacobs talking about uh, democracy of dollars. Anyway, uh, thanks to all of them and to all of you. Good night, everybody. The program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.